This is Red House Rising, Season 4, Episode 4, Unholy Thunder. should be a quiet cove. Joe guides the JRB4 toward the beach and away from the rocks. Not exactly sheltering, Reg. I know. I noticed that. Easy does it, Joe. Easy as I can. Joe drops the float plane into the surf. The plane lands hard and rushes toward the beach. Whoa! (laughs) That was nuts. Wave! Another wave! A wave much taller than the plane is cresting just behind them. Joe throttles up and just manages to stay ahead of the wave until it finally crashes down, catching the tail of the JRB-4 and nearly flipping the float plane over. Brace! Everybody! Joe rights the plane and throttles down as they shoot up the coral beach and into the trees. The smaller brush slows them down, but the starboard engine propeller smacks into a rock outcropping, and the plane jerks to a sudden and violent stop. Roger! Roger is unconscious, his head cocked against the co-pilot window. Joe tries to unbuckle her flight harness. Oh! Oh! Shoulders out! You okay, Reg? I think so. Roger? Roger! Oh, I can't. My arm! Schumacher unbuckles and comes forward to the cockpit. Let me see your shoulder, Joe. All right. Yeah, that's what it is. I I can... Just a minute, let me look at Roger. Schumacher takes Roger's head and eases it away from the window. He feels Roger's neck for a pulse. Okay, he's breathing. His heart's going fine. He's still with us. Roger? Oh. Uh, that was hitting my head. I'm afraid you did. Oh, boy. I need to lie down for a week. No, you don't. Just sit there, upright for a minute. Make sure your brain's working before you do anything. Now I'm going to take care of that shoulder for you, Joe. All right. Just going to loosen this harness. Oh, okay. You know what you're doing, Schumacher? Yeah, do you, Schumacher? Trust me. I was first in survival at spy school. Let me have your headphones off first. Schumacher takes Joe's headphones in one hand, then reaches under the harness Uh, and slips his other hand behind Joe's back. Slowly. That's it. Schumacher drops Joe's headphones and Joe instinctively reaches for them. In an instant, Schumacher pops Joe's arm back into its shoulder socket. Okay, there you go. You all right? Not so bad. (laughs) Yeah, not so... You distracted me. Yeah, relocating the humerus works better if the scapula's not expecting it. Is there a first aid kit around? It's in the bench seat and back. Working on it. Thanks, Reg. We'll get your noggin cleaned up and dressed, Roger. You both just sit tight here for a minute. Honolulu, Hawaii. It's midday, warm and sunny. 
A white Cadillac convertible pulls up in front of Ruby's club in Waikiki. Ruth sits in back waiting while the driver comes around and opens her door. Ruth gets out. She's still using a cane as she crosses to the club door with a large closed sign hung on it. Hello? Hello? Sorry, we're closed. Ruby? <sighs> Ruby is in the club bathroom on a stepladder, plumber's wrench in hand, working on a high tank toilet. Ugh, I'm just, I'm in the middle of something. Okay, but am I speaking with Ruby McManamy? Ruby joins Ruth in the club's main room. She's in overalls and still carrying the pipe wrench. Normally I'm the plumber around here, but I may need reinforcements on this one. I'm Ruby. Have we met? No, we haven't. Uh, I'm Ruth Weber. We do have a mutual friend, though. Dr. Ichiro Shunji? Sure, Ichiro. Are you from out that way? No, but I had an accident near there, and Ichiro happened along and made sure I survived. Oh, oh, yes. You're... I know about the accident. And losing your husband. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you, Ruby. That's very kind. So, how can I help you, Ruth? Well, over dinner, Ichiro mentioned this club and your difficulty getting it opened again. And it piqued my interest. Uh, no. Sorry. It's not for sale. Oh, I don't want to buy it, Ruby. This is your club. But I could persuade the army to allow you to reopen. And if you let me help, before you know it, this could be the finest club on Waikiki. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for the offer, Ruth. That's nice. I think my daughter-in-law is going to be able to help me. But it's true. The army has been god-awful. Then leave the army to me. Ruby, I have friends in useful places. The Merchant Marine, for example. I know captains who could ensure your club serves only the very best sirloins and prime rib. All those hard-to-get whiskeys and bourbons and gins. Rubies could serve them all. The war is nearly over. And once it is, tourists will wash over Waikiki like a tsunami. And Ruby's club will be the place to be in Honolulu. Well, I, uh, um, I'm confused. You sound very sincere. I don't mean to question your sincerity, Ruth. But what's in it for me? Is that what you're wondering? Well, frankly, wouldn't you wonder the same thing? Of course. My lawyer has drawn up, I think, a fair-minded agreement showing how we could both benefit from an ongoing collaboration. I see. Okay, well, I'll have to look this over later. I'm... You're busy. When you have a moment. I know this is unexpected, Ruby, but I will always tell you the truth including my ulterior motive for getting your club open. I like Ichiro very much, and I thought that helping his friends might help him see me, and not what others have said or written about me. Ruth, you are... I appreciate your honesty. 
I will definitely look at this. Oh, and I understand you're a singer. I can get you the best band in the islands. Some army friends again. Best band in the islands, huh? No kidding. They really swing. I'll let you get back to plumbing. I hope we speak soon. It's just after dark. Nick and Colonel Yokata watch from a distant hillside as a squad of Kempatai loads a covered truck parked inside the courtyard. The soldiers finish and climb in, and the truck rumbles away. At least they left the house itself. They'll be back for it later. Let's go. Inside Nick's home, Nick and Yakata move quietly from room to room. The Kempatai have taken whatever they could carry off. What's left behind has been broken or smashed. I'm sorry, Nikura. I brought this dishonor on your house. Nonsense. This has been brewing. Wait. Nick points to a room off the main hall. He and Yokata move quietly across the hall toward the room. Yokata slips his pistol from its holster. Nick and Yokata freeze at the sound of someone chambering a rifle round behind them. Nick! Fumi! Fumiko lowers the rifle she's holding. Are you all right? Yes, yes. They attacked us. I know. Are you hurt? Are you injured? No, but they took everything. No matter. As long as you're all right. Fumiko, this is my old friend, Colonel Yokada. Hiroki Yokada, madam. Greetings, Colonel. But Nick, you're back! Unfortunately, Tokyo is a web of duplicity. The war is lost, but the militarists refuse to allow surrender. They hold their so-called honor above all things, even if it means the complete destruction of the Japanese people. For now, Yokada and I will stay at the Dogo Shrine. We need to contact our old colleague, General Ono, in Hiroshima. Why? Is Ryo all right? Is something happening? I'll ask the general about Ryo. I will, Fumi. But the second army is tasked with protecting the home islands. General Ono has influence over the second army's senior staff. He must convince them to stand down, even if it means confronting the fascists in Tokyo. Hiroshima, Japan, Second Army Headquarters, General Ono's personal quarters. Come in, Sergeant. Come in and shut the door. Yes, my General. General Ono lifts a beautifully ornate officer's sword and holds it with both hands. Oh, oh sir, uh, please don't. Don't what? Sir, I... I thought... You thought I asked you here in the middle of the night to watch me die. Perhaps finish the work if necessary. Yes, my general. Well, happy news for both of us. You thought incorrectly, sergeant. Yes, sir. Happy news, sir. Tomorrow morning, I wish you to take this valise, and yes, this sword, to my wife and children in Kumano. You will take my car... You will avoid villages and keep away from the main roads. Ensure you're armed. 
What you're carrying is valuable to me. Perhaps the sword most of all. I understand, my general. I will do as you request, but... But your sword, sir... Shouldn't you... I mean... The time is approaching when we will be forced to surrender our weapons to a conquering army. I will not surrender this sword. Unlike many Gunto, mine is of true samurai origin, carried by my family's warriors for generations. It's beautiful, sir. It does not deserve the disgrace of becoming a cheap war souvenir. I will protect it, and all your things with my life. This I know, Sergeant. Ryo, when this is done, I want you to return to your own family, to your mother, and to my old friend, Prince Nakura. Once it is done, go, get some sleep. Yes, my general. You'll need an early start. Yes, sir. Tinian Island, U.S. Army Air Base, North Field. It's the middle of the night, the field buzzing with the usual activity. Just back from Japan, Mike and his flight crew cross the crushed coral tarmac. Novak comes riding up to the group on his motorcycle. Colonel Mercer, your presence is needed. Hop on. Needed by who? Not sure, sir. Time sensitive, sir. Uh, all right, Sergeant, I'm coming. Gentlemen, get some sleep. Mike climbs on behind Novak. Okay, Novak, what's going on? Where are you taking me? I'll tell you in a minute. Novak drives them out to the far end of the field and stops at an empty hard stand with a clear view of the end of the runway. Huh. What are we doing here? I'm ready to hit the sack. It won't be long. I thought you'd want to see it. See it? You know about the 509th, what they've been up to. Just that they're working on something big. Big is right. I'm sure you and your mechanics underground know more about it than I do. They don't have a regular bomb supply crew. You know why? No. Why? Hold on, here, here it comes. This is it. A single silver plate B-29 gathers speed. Its flaps down to increase lift. Well, that's the 509th, and she's definitely carrying weight. He's got to hold her down to get the speed. Has he got enough runway? Come on, baby, get the hell up. Finally, with no runway to spare, the B-29 lifts off and soars into the night. I don't know what you heard about bomb crews, but she's looking fully loaded to me. She is. She's loaded with one really big bomb they call Little Boy. <laughs> Little Boy? That must be the weapon. It is. And that's no test flight. They're headed for Japan. Late evening, Yenon, China. Leong and Anya Volkov ride in the back seat of a car driven by a Russian soldier. Your madam son is quite set in her ways. Too set for this changing world. Don't you think, Liang? Anya, the madam attended college in America. She studied biology, so she does have a basis for her beliefs. But fruit flies? 
to base all knowledge of genetics on bourgeois scientists and such things as flies. Director Lusenka wishes only to inspire China's farmers with new tools to prevent famine. But Madame is correct, isn't she? Under Director Lusenka's agricultural system, many Russians starved. Starved, yes. Caused by willful ignorance of Lysenko's system, those too foolish and too set in their ways to change were first to die. Just here, comrade. I understand. And I will make that clearer for my madam. Thank you for bringing me home. Please, sit. Comrade, leave us. Without a word, the driver turns off the car, gets out, and walks off. Anya, it's late. Volkov reaches over and caresses Liang's face. She slips her hand inside the light jacket Liang is wearing. Liang doesn't pull away. Your heart. I feel it. Beating. Volkov leans in and kisses Liang on the mouth. I want you. All of you. Leong gently pushes Volkov away and opens the car door. I need to go in. Why hurry? She's gone. What? Who's gone? Your friend is no longer in Yenan. Mei Ling? How do you know that? <laughs> Leong quietly enters the darkened house. Mailing? Mailing, I know it's late. She sees a letter on the bed. Leong, dear, I know you will be angry because this comes without warning. You've been so unhappy with me lately. I was afraid to say anything about it beforehand. I've gone to Chongxin to be with my mother and father. I've warned you that Anya Volkov is dangerous. Instead, you spend more and more time with her. You say it's for my benefit and the benefit of the madam, but losing you? How does that benefit us? Liang, protect yourself. You're Mei Ling. Toll Island, Western Truk Lagoon. The storm has moved on. It's midday, sunny and clear. Schumacher climbs up through the trees until he comes to a clearing with a wide view of Truk Lagoon to the east. Okay, okay, there you are, the Japanese islands. Wow, this ability is too good. You're closer than I thought. Hello, chicken, what are you doing up here? You wanna have lunch? You wanna be lunch? A chicken slips in and out of the undergrowth. Schumacher tries not to frighten it as he casually tries to catch it. Come here, darling, come here. Ooh, that's it, that's it. No, 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 here, here, here. Damn it! Oh! Schumacher makes a dive for the chicken, but it disappears into the brush. Okay, you're bringing out the competitor in me now. Schumacher pushes his way through the thick vegetation until he breaks into a clearing and watches as the chicken runs off into a small village. Here now, that's enough. You leave her alone. Schumacher turns to see a group of young men, 
each with full body tattoos, and an older man in shabby clothes with a long red beard. Hey, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't know she was your chicken. You think chickens run wild in this island? They don't. No, no, le- lesson learned. They're a valuable commodity. The eggs, you see. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, Schumacher's the name. We've got a float plane with a bent propeller in that cove over there. That storm blew us off course. A float plane, you say? Would you have room for another passenger? Uh, yeah, we might, but like I say, busted propeller. Pete Kelly. One of the tattooed young men steps forward. We know where to find propellers. <laughs> you got that right, Nino. No shortage of propellers. Really? Well, could you point us in that direction? Sorry again about the chicken. Toll Island Cove. The JRB-4 is out of the trees, but still on the shore, turned toward the water. Joe stands on the starboard float, taking apart the starboard engine propeller. Both blades are bent. Roger, his head still bandaged, stands on the coral beach beside Joe, holding the end of one of the blades. Hey, how's your shoulder feeling, Joe? I think Schumacher actually knows what he's doing. Good. My shoulder's good. I think you're right about him. Okay, you got a hold of it? Got it. Joe removes the last bolt and opens the propeller hub, freeing the propeller blade. Roger grips the blade and pulls until it comes free from the hub and drops to the beach. Okay, we'll get the other blade off and button this up, and that'll take care of the drag out here. We've got her emptied of anything we don't need, so I think we're ready. You ever take off with just one engine? Nope. But with some help from the wind and the waves? Small waves preferred. We'll get her up, and then we'll have to take our time to Kwajalein. Reggie appears at the cargo door. Hey, Joe. Your navigation's got an extra power supply. Did you know that? Yeah. Sergeant Novak said I'd be happy with it, and I have been, I guess. It got us here. Can I cannibalize it? Navigation will still have power, but I might borrow some things. You mean to fix the radio? Exactly. For a lightning strike, it could have been much worse. A couple of burnt capacitors, but I can work around them, if you don't mind a little creative wiring. Reggie, please, create a way. Hey, you two. It looks like Schumacher's made some friends. So what else is new? Schumacher comes out of the trees, leading Pete Kelly, Nino, and a group of villagers, including two young girls carrying baskets of food. Sapu! Oh, my God! Joe runs at the group of villagers and throws her arms around an older woman with a walking stick. Mother Sapu! Oh, Oh, my Josephine! Mother Sapu! My little Josephine! Oh, you're back! Nino! Nino? Where's... Hello, Miss Joe. Nino! You're all grown up. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you both. Nino here says he knows where we can find a propeller. Do you? Of course. It's not far from here. There's an aviation graveyard out there, just around the point. Joe, Roger, Reggie, this is Pete Kelly. He was a coast watcher until the Japanese caught him at it. Nearly got my head lopped off a time or two. But they keep you around to do the hard labor. Until we snuck off, didn't we, boys? Nina, will you show me where I can find the propellers? Yes, Miss Joe. We'll go together. My little Josephine, please, eat something first. <laughs> 
The girls have fish, taro root, bananas for you. Thank you, Mother Sapu. This is so generous. It's simple food. No, no, it's most welcome. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Tell me, how is your son? He's wonderful. He's almost five. But how did you know I had a boy? I asked Tangaroa, god of the sea. But he didn't know, so I guessed. <laughs> <laughs> Kumano, Japan, in the hills east of Hiroshima. Sun just coming up. Ryo drives the general's car away from a palatial home. In the rearview mirror, he sees General Ono's wife standing in front, clutching her husband's valise and sword, and sobbing. Ryo drives out of the hills toward Hiroshima. He hears the air raid siren, slows a little and cranes his neck out the car window. Not leaflets, those are parachutes. They must have shot one down. No, it's not pilots. As Rio scans the sky, an Imperial Army troop truck rumbles out of the hills toward him. Rio yanks the general's car onto the shoulder as the truck roars past. He slams on his brakes too late. The shoulder ends and the general's car slides into a ditch. Oh, no, 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 you idiot. You, uh, you. The handful of parachutes that Rio saw were instruments for measuring the destructive capabilities of the atomic bomb that vaporized Hiroshima. If Rio had not been in a car in a ditch, the bomb's initial flash would have incinerated him. An ungodly concussion followed, obliterating the city and throwing the general's car into the Seino River below. The car submerges. Rio struggles to escape. He finally reaches the surface and swims to shore, where he collapses. Rio stumbles up the riverbank and climbs until he reaches the hill road where he can look out across Hiroshima. No. The city is flattened for as far as he can see. Hiroshima Castle is gone. Second Army Headquarters, gone. General Ono. Fires burn throughout the city. The sky is a sickening yellow. In a daze, Rio starts down the road toward the city center. Rio passes more and more people leaving the city. People drift by like sleepwalkers, some half naked and bleeding, their skin hanging in ribbons, others in tattered, smoldering clothing. Big droplets of rain stained with radioactive dust begin to fall, and the survivors look up, horrified by the black rain. Rio comes to what used to be the police headquarters, where a rudimentary first aid station is being set up. A nurse stops him. Are you in one piece, Sergeant? What? 
Are you in one piece, Sergeant? Are you injured? We need help here. You're in the army, aren't you? Yes, I'm, I'm not injured. But I need, I need to report. There's no one to report to, Sergeant. Help us. Help us. Yes. Y yes, I'll help. Keep these poor people in some kind of queue. Find out what they need, if they even know. Just try to keep them from losing heart while we wait for some more help. I will. I will. Red House Rising is written and directed by Chris Cote and Dale Carey. Episode 5 is next. <laughs>